Welcome to Dark Hammer, a Dark Days Radio podcast focusing on the worlds of Warhammer RPGs. And I am one of the regular hosts, Chris, and today I am joined by Mike for the first time on Dark Hammer. Hello, Mike. Hey, how's it going, Chris? Really honored to be here. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, I really like 40K, and uh, Age of Sigmar always kind of tickles my fancy these days. So really excited to be here to talk about all things Warhammer, especially with our very cool topic for this episode. Yes, uh, there's a lot going on for for um, Games Workshop right now, so it's a really exciting time to be uh, involved in exploring these worlds. So to start off, we'll do a brief game update. I have been doing some writing for Cubicle 7 on some various things, uh, but actually gaming-wise, I squeezed in a game of uh, Adeptus Titanicus uh, the other day, uh, yesterday, uh, which was really great. It was a demo game and involved plenty of Reaver Titan close combat as a chain fist sliced apart a Warhound Titan and then my opponent's Reaver Titan bashed mine in the face and as mine went into catastrophic damage, it randomly fired all its weapons at point-blank range at the other Reaver Titan and blew it apart. So I I, I won the game because I had still one Warhound Titan left that hadn't gone critical because for most of the game it was that close to uh, having a complete meltdown. So uh, nice. that's my gaming update from uh, the Worlds of Games Workshop type stuff. Uh, you've been doing some role play though. Yeah, nothing for uh, Warhammer, unfortunately. But uh, yesterday I did play uh, a little bit of Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition uh, with Gehenna Gaming. We were uh, vetting a new storyteller for the upcoming uh, PAX East event. Ah, And yeah, in addition to that, we also had a training session on how to run Call of Cthulhu, which uh, was very beneficial. I'll be running that PAX as well. And uh, uh, it was good to kind of go over character creation and go over the basic mechanics because I've played the game before, but I've never actually run it. So it's... uh, Interesting and relevant because obviously Call of Cthulhu runs off a percentile system and uh, mm-hmm. obviously is a forerunner to um, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay because, I mean, that's where a lot of the inspiration came from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when they were originally writing the um, Enemy Within uh, campaign for Warhammer Fantasy roleplay back in the 80s, they were really uh, cribbing a lot off of uh, the scenarios for uh, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. and taking a lot of inspiration from that and it shows and, and also kind of proves yeah, that say, it's it really a good formula in, in the um updated version so they've redone that for uh, Cube, uh cubicle 7's redone uh kind of like i don't know done a recut almost of uh enemy within um campaigns the first part's yeah. out and there's also the they've got like um a storyteller handbook to go with it which has even more setting material and more options and the great thing about it, there's what are called grognard boxes in the scenario. So if mm. you've got people that have played it before, it gives you suggestions on how to remix uh, scenes and conclusions and who the bad guys are so that you leave your players guessing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really uh, great idea from Cubicle 7. Uh, cool. Um, Games Workshop announcements generally. Oh, god, there's a lot going on. There's some new Warcry monsters out, more Warbands out, more Warband cards are out. So, finally, can you Stormcast Eternal? Uh, the there's um, as I say, there's a new box game out for Adeptus Titanicus that is much more it's cheaper, it's cheaper by a mile and more accessible. Uh, 
to get started in that game. Uh, Games Workshop have also announced Warhammer Fest coming up at the NEC. So that's around about April, oh no, May time. I want to say April, May time. Uh, end of April, I think. Start of May. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's a br- that's basically the new version of Games Day, uh, which will be great. So Cubicle 7 will be there running demos and stuff like that. Then we've also got the announcements from Specialist Games over the last few weeks of uh, The Old World. Uh, so Warhammer The Old World. So and that ties into what we'll be talking about today. So I think we'll we'll not get into that too much, but it, it basically looks like they're re-exploring the world that was, the classic Warhammer Fantasy setting. Yep. Uh, what type of game they're going to do? I don't know. Is it Skirmish? Is it Warmaster? Is it something else? But there's a lot of, so far, focus on the fact that the Empire is... Uh, in a time period of of great flux because it's the time of three emperors from all the hints that are there. Ooh. Oh my gosh, that's going to be really exciting. So it's like historical it. it's historical Warhammer fantasy because obviously contemporary Warhammer was the end times which led into Age of Sigma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, let's think, there's also so gang, uh, the Book of Chains which is for Goliath so it's all new content for Goliaths. Obviously you don't need to get it if you've got the core rule book in the gangs that are underhive but if you love your Goliath gang and you want more stuff, want more options for that gang, you can pick up this. It also has a new gang in there which is the, which is the Goliath Slave Ogren gang uh, so it's just pure Ogren who've got like various, you know, cybernetic attachments and stuff. Uh, so that's crazy looking kind of crazy. Um, and then event wise, you will be, as you said, you're going to be at PAX East with Gehenna Gaming doing some demos of V5 and Call of Cthulhu. Uh, mm-hmm. What else are you doing there? Uh, so I'm actually going to be on a panel, which is called Horror in Tabletop Gaming. It's going to be on uh, Thursday, February 27th at 5 p.m. in the Bobcat Theater right there at PAX, Unpl- uh, PAX East. So really cool. Um, got a great crew up there. It's going to be me, Gehenna Gaming, and also um, uh, two people from the Botch Pit uh, yeah. podcast as well. So it's going to be a great bunch of people talking about uh, how to keep up the pacing and terror in your horror games. Yeah. And then uh, we've got, I've got coming up uh, the Swansea Comics and Games Convention, which is in Swansea. Uh, the date for that, I'm trying to think, it's the 4th. I think it's the 4th. Uh, it's that. It's definitely that, that Saturday of April. Um, I'll just check my calendar on that because I can bring it up right now. And I can tell, I can say exactly. Yeah, it's not the 4th. No, it can't be the 4th. It's, that's, uh, that's got to be wrong. Or is it right? No, it's right. It is the 4th. 4th of April. Um, and I'm going to be there. Howard Ingham's going to be there. Matthew Dawkins going to be there. We're going to be talking about horror. Going to be talk- I'll be talking about Warhammer. Uh, and there's also a whole variety of people that are artists, uh, illustrators, who do comic books, uh, and you know just all manner of forms of media uh, and geekery as it were um so that'll be really cool and there's a raffle which there are some miniatures win that i've painted so that's all good and then mm. we've also got uh i'm locking in details for uk games expo so myself and david whitworth will be there i am trying to work out quite what capacity will be there so we we're we're definitely going to be there with press passes, but I'm waiting for some things to be locked in. Uh, also looking towards Warhammer Fest and hopefully we'll be there as well. 
Uh, and then, of course, we've got coming up is uh, Gen Con. So Chig's always going there, but it looks like you and Crystal are also going along. Yeah, that's right. Um, we don't have too many announcements at the moment because uh, a lot of the event details haven't come out yet. But I can tell you that there's going to be panels, there's going to be games, and uh, just a lot of excitement uh, over there in uh, Indianapolis. Great. Cool. And yeah, there will always be some big game announcements and things there, and like the Ennies and everything else. Yeah. Right. Well, that's quick gaming news update that's relevant to what we do. Um, oh, one last thing there's the uh, Morris's unofficial Top News podcast put out an episode recently where Dominic McDowell, uh, who is the chief executive officer, you know, runs Cubicle 7, uh, he was on the show talking about the history of um, Cubicle 7, uh, you know, how they got started, how they got hold of the Doctor Who license, and then talking about the future of, you know, things like, you know, what the Warhammer RPGs and so forth and uh, what they're doing with that. So it's a really good episode to listen to because you learn that, you know, Modiphius and Cubicle 7 have very, you know, interlinked in the early, well, because uh, Chris Birch obviously was, was part of uh, Cubicle 7 back in those hmm. early days. Uh, and Interesting. helped them pitch for Doctor Who, I believe. So you can find out all about that. But we can move on now to our main topic, which is all about how to do some Warhammer fantasy role-playing in the City of the Damned, Mordheim. So Mordheim has a uh, has a, uh, a, a a big following even to this day, twenty years on, pretty much. Uh, and it's a game that came out in nineteen ninety nine. It was a miniature skirmish game by Games Workshop, and we've had the pleasure of you know interviewing one of the creators for it, which was uh, Thomas Pirinen, who worked yeah. alongside Alessio Cavator and Rick Priestley. Rick Priestley, obviously, you know the big daddy of uh, Warhammer. Uh, Alessio Cavator, of course, has also worked on an on one edition of Warhammer. Thomas Purnham worked on another one, of course. And Mordheim, you know, is Warhammer in its bones because it's very recognisable. It is just the war game, but without big units. And it's you know, gang warfare with war bands in this city. So the idea, much like Necromunda, is you're playing, you know, interconnected battles, you're seeing your warband grow, get experience, learn new skills, get murdered in horrific and awful ways, encounter strange people as they explore the city and more. But yeah. it's also a really good thing for role-playing in this day and age, what with 4th edition Warhammer. So what's the background to Mordheim? Do you want to give us, start us off on this then, Mike? Because obviously you love the setting as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So here's kind of the basic story of Mordheim, the, the general setting. So, um, you know, in the year 1999 of the uh, Imperial Calendar, um, high above Ostermark, one of the uh, many provinces of the Empire, there's a climatic event that changes the course of the Empire's history. Uh, at this time, the Empire of Sigmar uh, is in flames. There's, it's the time of three emperors, uh, as Chris alluded to in the, the news segment, uh, when there's three separate emperors uh, trying to claim the throne. Uh, and the Electric Counts of different provinces are divided between these three factions. 
So there's political turmoil, which uh, has really enabled uh, corruption and the cults of chaos to slowly seize more influence and power throughout the land. Mordheim itself was a large city on the border between the provinces of Sylvania and Ostermark, which is not really a very wealthy region uh, in the more modern Warhammer setting that people are used to closer to the end times. Um, but back at this time, Mordheim was a booming city uh, with a bustling trade and a notoriety for sin and corruption. But in uh, 1999, uh, it received a blessed omen. The twin-tailed comet of Sigmar appeared in the sky above the city. And the comet stayed above the city for weeks, and tens of thousands flocked there, some looking for blessings, others salvation, and many more seeking forgiveness. As the comet approached, the citizens uh, began to descend into uh, raucous uh, festivities and debauchery. And they believed that their city, above all others in the empire, had been chosen by Sigmar. But then, of course, the comet struck. It actually impacted directly in the center of the city. Tens of thousands were burned, and thousands more were mutated by this, this horrific glowing green crystal that shattered off from the comet. Mordheim itself was left in ruin. It was a symbol of the empire's fall from grace at this time. And it didn't take long for looters to take advantage of the situation. This had been a, a very wealthy city. So war bands flocked to the shanty towns of refugees that were scattered about alongside the ruins. And uh, they were all just looking for a quick coin. And it was soon discovered that the meteor that had struck Mordheim it actually consisted of weird stone, which is this magical substance that can if you're just exposed to it naturally, it can horribly mutate. But also through processes, um, you can actually use it for magic, alchemy, or even uh, snuff, uh, a drug for the very rich. So a new economy of adventuring formed around the city as ne'er-do-wells searched for fortune in the ruins of Bordheim. Uh, some came out with treasure and weirdstone. Others returned with maddening rumors of a demonic shadow lord in the crater pit at the center of the city. But most of these foolish adventurers, of course, just never returned at all. And that is the setting of Mordheim. So, yeah, it's a really, really great setting with tons of options for role playing. Um, you know, just right off the bat, there's all the different war bands, Chris. Like you have the, uh, the mercenaries, uh, the human mercenaries from different places, elves, dwarves, halflings, and ogres. Um, but there's also room to role play as vampires uh, that have flocked here from Sylvania. You can play as cultists, um, part of one of the possessed cults uh, of chaos that now exist in the city or outside of it. And you can actually even play as Skaven. They're a very good option in this setting because uh, they're all trying to find the weird stone or as they call it, warp stone. Yeah, there's, there's lots... Um that you can do with the Mordheim setting. There's some, also some relatively unique elements uh, to the, the that city. So we have these Sisters of Sigmar, who are apparently a heretical cult of uh, of of female priests um, who you know nobles would send their daughters there to venerate Sigmar, and who. One, I think the leader of them, if I was, if I'm right, or at least a, a very venerable priestess in their order, predicted the coming of the uh, comet. Uh, and her name, of course, is Cassandora, which is related to a particular spell, which is within the Warhammer Fantasy uh, 
battle game. Hmm. Uh, the the actual the actual mercenary warbands that we can play, the, the, the humans, uh, come from three of the provinces of the Empire. We have the Reichland, uh, we also have the Middenheimers and Marienburg. And these three warbands, of course, are tied to the three uh, claims to the throne. So we have from Reichland, obviously they're, they're tied to the Grand Prince, who is the Count... Uh, where is his name? I was going to try and find his name, but I can't find it. Uh, the Grand Prince of Reichland, of course, is uh, Siegfried, the ruler of Reichland himself, who his claim is uh, supported by the Grand Theogenist. Uh, you then have in Middenheim, uh, you, Middenheim is obviously the home to the cult of Ulrich, who sees the cult of Sigmar as like an usurper cult. Uh, and the Middenheimers are, of course, uh, their 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 province, their claim to the throne is through Manfred uh, Todbringer. And then finally we have in Marienburg, which is a very prosperous uh, coastal, I say coastal city, but it's on the Reichland River as it leads out uh, onto the oceans and the seas themselves. Uh, that that uh, trading city, which has links to the Elven Kingdoms and Cathay, uh, their uh, representative, uh, their claim to the throne is through Lady Margarita. And so she also has ties, though, to the Sisters of Sigmar because she actually studied under their tutelage in the past. So oh. there's a lot of setting material with the war bands themselves. And you can see how the, you, know, you start to go, oh, okay, I see how this ties into the newer whatever route uh, Warhammer the Old World is going to, because these three emperors to be uh, are mentioned uh, on the map that's being revealed. And yeah, you can play cults of possessed, so you can actually have beastmen and mutants in your in your midst, or someone that's essentially about to be uh, mutated into some sort of chaos spawn. Uh, yeah, the Skaven are great. Let's just say Skaven, Skaven are great. They have like warp block pistols and 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 various like rat ogres and so forth. Uh, and yeah, the the core the core selection of warbands in, in Mordheim just gives you a lot of flavor of what the Warhammer the Empire is at this time. There's a lot of superstition. Uh, we don't have the idea of of wizards being commonplace is not something. Um, at this time, because we don't have the formation of the uh, the collegiates of of wizardry in 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 the in Outdorf, because that is something set up by Teclas much later after the war against Chaos and Magnus Pius comes to uh, power. Uh, so yeah, Mordheim is you know is also a kind of a post apocalyptic setting. Uh, the city is burnt out, buildings are shattered. I guess. There's a always a plume of smoke coming from the crater where the, the 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 comet struck, and there is a constant rain of ash from all the fires that still haven't gone out. And also the lands around Mordheim are also equally in dire situations as you know, there's a drain on resources due to the warring emperors. There is the uh, the things from the woods, the the beastmen and other nefarious creatures, obviously ransacking villages and towns, and of course the weird stone that you spoke of, not only uh, is littered through the city in huge amounts, 
a good amount of it is spread across the Ostermark and beyond. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, it's a really bleak setting if you actually go to to Mordheim itself. Um, but even out into the uh, the rest of the Empire, you really get a strong feel of that, like uh, the Thirty Years' War, that kind of inspiration, where mm. uh, just the the countryside is just completely exhausted. And there's famine is rife, um, and people are just struggling and fighting in many different places, which. Of course, makes it a very exciting uh, place to set some games because there is uh, a lot of awesome ideas for different struggles and uh, different conflicts for your game. <clears throat> there's also, in addition to just like the historic inspiration, there's a lot of cool, unique things to bring in uh, from that that make it feel very Warhammer esque. Uh, one of those I really want to highlight is this idea of the Carnival of Chaos, uh, which I think actually originated in a comic. Uh, and then ended up getting rules and miniatures um, in Mordheim itself. Uh, the Carnival of Chaos, of course, is uh, your um, something wicked this way comes uh, style of creepy carnival. But of course, here, instead of um, people you know, getting their dreams and desires and being trapped by the carnival, it moves through the countryside and comes to Mordheim itself, uh, spreading the... Uh, rot of Nurgle and other such diseases and corruptions. Uh, it's really fun and interesting and uh, has just great uh, possibilities as a one-shot, uh, just having characters all as, uh, you know, people from the countryside who've been working and struggling for years. Finally, the carnival arrives for some uh, relief and fun. And of course, the horror ensues. Or, of course, uh, you could have uh, a group of mercenaries bounty hunters who are actually hunting and chasing after the carnival of chaos and finding all of the destruction that it leaves in its wake definitely i've recently used the carnival of chaos in my own uh game of warhammer fantasy uh because i set it during the time of uh Mordheim. so and i think the the thing you can go for as well is that there isn't maybe there isn't just one carnival of chaos maybe there are many different corrupted uh you know, corrupted kind of fairs, carnivals, whatever, who are traveling around the empire because it's a perfect time for them to sow discord and, and misery. Uh, the flavor text in Empire in Flames about the Carnival of Chaos, the, the little short story about them is fantastic to read. And I love the idea that, you know, they set up shop, uh, they they have all the little carnival and fairground kind of attractions and then also they have stage plays that they they perform and there'll be some kind of perverse mockery of some element of the history of M of the empire of sigmar of of the gods of the empire it's uh and then obviously the the fun the, the real fun ensues when the glamour of the carnival falls and the carnival of chaos you know attack the the uh the villagers and and so forth who've come to enjoy a nice time out. Yeah, they're cool. They are really cool. Um, I really like the what's the model? The um, plague bearer that wears like a wig and is kind of doing mm -hmm. a, a kind of Shakespearean, you know, Yorick kind of kind of uh, yeah. pose. It, again, it's it's uh, it's just hilarious. The other thing I really like in um, in the the Mordheim Empire and Flames, uh, that larger kind of setting material is the idea of the thing in the woods. 
because this obviously draws upon the the legends of the Beast of Gévaudan, which was a monstrous wolf that terrorised uh, the French countryside uh, in Gévaudan. Uh, I think I want to say around about the 1700s, if I if I can remember rightly, mm-hmm. maybe yep. a bit later. And of course, that's um, you know that was this this fear of the superstitions and and the supernatural versus this time of enlightenment. And I guess in the same way this time period of the of the empire is where they they've had certain advancements you know black powder weapons are becoming a thing they're not commonplace so there's this idea of an enlightenment and it all falls down because obviously with an enlightenment there is also corruption and depravity as people become rich beyond their wildest dreams so the thing in the woods can be used in the same way. There's also the fear that if you fight it and you defeat it, but if you get scratched or bitten by it, you too will become a creature like it. So it's this the idea of werewolves, of course, turn up with the thing in the woods. Um, so yeah, I really that's another cool element within the uh, within the setting material. Yeah. We, yeah, and uh, I think uh, getting us back to the city of Mordheim itself, uh, it's a really interesting setting uh, that ties into the the broader kind of meta plot of Warhammer as well, because there's this being that is rumored of uh, throughout the uh, the short fiction and the, uh, the even the rules itself in some areas, uh, this being known as the Shadow Lord, which uh, lives in the central pit, that smoking crater at the center of the city. And as we learn going through the history of the uh, the Warhammer world and um, through uh, different like uh, campaigns and events that happens in the uh, the two thousands, uh, the Shadow Lord is actually Belakor, who is the first ever ever chosen of Chaos. Um, this entity had actually been trapped on the moon uh, Morslib and had come crashing down on this uh, this meteor of Warpstone. Um, and Belcor becomes a central character of uh, the Warhammer Metaplot, um, obviously in the uh, Dark Shadows campaign that happened uh, in like 2001 or so. And then, yeah. of course, uh, coming up many times in um, a Storm of Chaos and the End Times itself. So it's just very interesting to tie in that Belacor. This is the first uh, time we ever saw Belacor uh, being used in the setting and kind of the origins of that uh, pretty cool character. Uh, and this kind of lets you as well kind of explore how Bellacore might have gotten started uh, with influence of the world and kind of building up its uh, power base, uh, you know, working through the cult of the possessed here at Mordheim itself. Yeah, I think Bellacore's really interesting if you, for, for antagonists within, uh, within Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, because if you want to really start throwing some curveballs against your players, because like, you know, okay, it's the, you know, it's a Zinchin cult or it's an, a cult of Nurgle or it's a, a, a Slaneshi Hedonites cult that they, they discover or they're up against. You know, that's great. But if you really want something a little bit different, Belacor is kind of like fifth minor chaos God or he, a demigod, at least he, he resents the chaos gods for, for forsaking him as the first ever chosen. You know, he's tasked to put the crown of, of sorcery or whatever it is, or the gifts, you know, to crown each ever chosen that there's been. He's going to crown one who's about, you know, very soon, who's also going to be defeated by Magnus the Pious. So Belacor has has issues with the Chaos Gods. Hmm. And 
you can see that is a great opportunity to have chaos cults who venerate Bellacor, but technically don't recognize the other chaos gods. So you can look at a chaos god that represents, I guess, because uh, he is the Shadow Lord, uh, I guess represents like mystery, intrigue, corruption, like at, in a in a different manner to the four chaos gods that we normally see. And I think that also ties quite interesting with what we're seeing right now in Warcry, where we're seeing war bands that that follow aspects of chaos that aren't aligned to one of the big hmm. four chaos gods. So I think you can kind of do the same thing with Bellacor here and start thinking about how do chaos cults uh you know worship chaos and what it is but through different aspects other than you know disease murder pleasure and excessor and and just raw rampant chaos in the form of zinch right yeah i mean he could be the uh chaos aspect of rebellion in many ways yes, exactly and i think in some respects he represents that because way back when if we turn the clock all the way back, there were some other chaos gods uh, mm -hmm. there were that back in the day. I can't quite remember their names. They were playing words of Michael yeah. Moorcock and someone else. And there was um, Malal was the uh, the, the big guy. one that has all the uh, the intellectual property issues associated yes. with it. So I think Bellacor kind of fits those kind of shoes quite happily. Right. Yep. So if with this kind of like kind of rich pot of ideas that Mordheim represent and the the uh, the empire at the time what can we do within our fantasy role play setting what what things do we have to consider and what things do we need to change up and what kind of opportunities do we get with this setting material mm. yeah yeah absolutely uh, i'd say generally most of the careers in uh, warhammer fantasy role play um are okay uh they don't really need any major drastic changes uh that i can think of um uh chris as you mentioned uh of course um colleges of magic do not exist and magic is in fact outlawed in the empire uh this makes things very difficult for uh practitioners of magic witches um warlocks and the like um and really uh creates an air of suspicion around them um so i think that's a, a big uh, story change that needs to happen um and i guess associated with that it's probably harder for them to to find spells and magical grimoires uh mm. since a lot of the you can't just go to the colleges of magic and altdorf as you mentioned uh and just look things up there the other thing you can look at is the sisters of sigmar so that would be something where you might have to do a little bit of home brewing but you could quite easily look at the priestess um uh the the priestess nun uh, character mm, class yeah. in Warhammer, and then also look at the warrior priest character class as well. And with a little bit of balancing of things, I think you could basically cook up a Sisters of Sigma who represents that type of character. And that would be, again, quite interesting because they too are considered heretics in certain areas of right. society. Uh, and so sometimes they could possibly act quite openly maybe especially in marienburg but in other parts of the uh of the empire they would have to be quite secretive yeah yeah and that's actually one of the interesting things with uh Mordheim is that there is the sisters in the original uh war game there's the sisters of sigmar 
uh, warband, and there's also the Witch Hunters warband. So yeah. the um, the Templars of Sigmar, the Witch Hunters, are actively trying to uh, kill the uh, Sisters of Sigmar uh, in their own Sigmarite cult, which is uh, definitely uh, something to explore, just kind of the uh, political religious issues that are going on at this time. And also I want to bring up with the, uh, the Sigmarite, uh, uh, Sisters of Sigmar cult, um, they actually, they're all based out of the ruins of Mordheim itself. Yeah. Uh, when the meteor impacted, the entire city was burned, except for their sanctuary, which remains untouched, uh, which is a really interesting plot point. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting locations. That leads us to another point. There's a lot of interesting locations within Mordheim itself. I've got a... You can find a lot of these maps online because uh, people make some really good, high-quality maps of Mordheim all the time. Um, so Mordheim as a city, it obviously has a, a wall around it. There are one, two, three... There'll be four gates to it, and there's a river mm -hmm. that goes through it. There are three bridges, uh, two which span it at the city walls at the north, at the uh, north and south, and in the middle there is the main bridge, which, much like you can consider other bridges during uh, the medieval period, would would also have buildings built uh, upon it. Uh, then, towards not really the centre of the city, but to the um, to the south east of the city is the Black Pit, um, the big crater itself. Uh, we also then have to the south outside the city, there is a place called Brigensburg, which pretty much is what you expect, which is where it's a small settlement that's safer than staying within the city, where warbands can gather before they go off to loot and, and ransack the remains that they find. Uh, there is the cemetery of St. Voller, there is the city hall and constabulary, there is the great clock tower, uh, there is various other neighbourhoods, there is Count Steinhardt's palace. Now, Count Steinhardt will have died during the events that uh, transpire. And mm -hmm. Mordheim was the capital of the Ostermark, but given these events, that capital moves to a city north from Mordheim known as Beckefen. Uh, we have... Uh, what else do we have? We've got various other havens. There's an executioner's square. There's the great library of Mordheim. So going back to these witches and and priests, there could be all manner of of uh, law that they could find if they went to the great library. But uh, but also, I'm sure the great library has already been looted, or is a dangerous place to go, given that it's mostly being uh, looted by other people like necromancers and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the imperial armory. So you know, you never know what you could find in that location. Uh, there's also various inventors' workshops that will be through the city, uh, the merchants' quarter, the metal workers. Again, loads of different things there that you could possibly find. Mordheim even would have had a university, much like other major cities. There are the palace gardens. Now, I can imagine that the being suffused with the energies of chaos and warpstone have been littered through the, the soil of that garden, the plants there, I doubt, are very pretty or very safe anymore. Uh, <laughs> then <Yeah. laughs> there'll be various, you know, the rivers will have various uh, warehouses and docks and ships. And um, surely, surely there will be numerous uh, warbands that will come into the city by boat. And, you know, moving around the empire by boat is a common method. And there's lots of rules oh, yeah. and, and stuff to... Uh, to, to read up on how that would happen. Uh, 
then there is Rupert von Enden's Amphitheatre. So this would be a place where, you know, plays and, and operas would be performed. So again, this is a, a wonderful location, possibly even a location where, you know, depending upon they can secure it, a chaos cult might take over to perform their uh, debauched rituals. Uh, right. Let's see, there's Steinhardt's Memorial Gardens, there is the statue of Count Gotthard. And of course, amongst the city, there will be many temples, particularly there is a temple to Sigmar, and there is a temple to Mor, who is the god of death. Uh, then, in the middle of the river, to the south, there is the rock, and that is where the sisters, the sisters of Sigmar, I believe, have their, I think, no, maybe they're not. The rock, I think, is is the jails. I can't. I think the Sisters of Sigmar are near to that location. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Uh, um, I don't remember what the rock is off the top of my head either. I, yeah, but there's there's tons of all uh, tons of information on these maps. You really get a sense mm-hmm. of the scale of the city, and what that immediately then presents us is that Mordheim. Is a great setting if you want to if you want to do something a little bit more sandbox like. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that, Chris. And um, one of the coolest things that's in the Mordheim rulebook is actually they had these exploration tables, um, which you could easily use and uh, co-opt for a Warhammer Fantasy roleplay game. Um, and it's really easy to find these. Uh, uh, Games, Workshop, Games Workshop actually gave out the uh, Mordheim rulebook for free as one of the living rulebooks uh, a while back. So uh, it's very easy to get a copy of a, a PDF uh, to check this out. And the exploration tables, uh, basically the rules in the game were that after each mission, your uh, heroes, you take a number of dice equal to your number of heroes, roll those. If you've got doubles, triples, quadruples, etc., you check a table and basically see what kind of uh, areas of the city you encountered. And these could be very simple things like ruined hovels, shrines of Sigmar, to things like the catacombs of uh, Mordheim or the warpstone-laced pit at the uh, center of the city. And I think it's really great to take these exploration tables and use them as you have that kind of a sandbox game, as you mentioned. Because as you're going from point to point, going from, say, the uh, city hall up to the great library of Mordheim, you can just roll up on these exploration tables and see what the characters find along the way uh, and kind of have like a cool procedurally generated uh, adventure as you go from point A to point B. Just kind of spice things up that way. As you may know, I'm a huge fan of doing this kind of stuff like hex crawls and the like, because I think it's really interesting to see how players will react to the kind of random situations that could arise that were completely unplanned. And this also makes things pretty easy as a uh, a game master as you go through and uh, you don't have to do as much planning. You do a bit of front end work, getting together a table, or in this case, just co-opting it from the more time rulebook and um, just kind of take it from there and uh, react both yourself and uh and the players to what the table conjures up. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And I think this is also a great uh, thing to do in some other classic Warhammer adventures, like uh, Something Rotten in Kislev um, or Ashes of Mindenheim. Whenever you have like kind of a ruined city or kind of an apocalyptic situation, um, these tables work really great. Yeah, and it's also really cool if you check out uh, Empire in Flames, that has um, a lot of random exploration 
uh, locations for when warbands or player characters are out in the wilderness, uh, which is uh, definitely uh, great uh, if you want to set things out in the uh, kind of wilderness around Mordheim itself. Uh, Chris, do you have any uh, cool ideas or any other uh, ideas for uh, how to use Mordheim as a sandbox for adventures? Um, yeah, I mean, going back to the random encounters, I think one of the things that that shows how you need to think about getting the mood of the game is in the Empire and Flames random encounters, there's uh, like a gingerbread house that you can find. And it is literally mm. a gingerbread house that you can loot for food. But also, if you're not too careful, you will um, be cursed by the witch that lives there. And you also see this in some of the other art with Mordheim, like there's a kind of Pied Piper of Hamelin kind of character who has led the rat people to the city. So I think with Mordheim, a great source of inspiration is to go back to grim fairy tales and Germanic folklore and think about how that can be used within your games. And you know, the type of antagonists you can create and stories you can tell are really much more rooted in fairy tales and folklore rather than bashing people over the head with, oh, you're being attacked by, you know, cornate demons or you're being attacked by, uh, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of a good example of some ridiculous monster that from chaos. But you get the idea. It's like it's the lower level kind of creepy fey type creatures that I think really suit Mordheim. Mm. And this time yeah. period. Uh, but also, of course, because you've got the conflict between the different uh between the different claimants to the throne, maybe most of you know, maybe most of your your player character cadre's uh encounters and problems they're gonna come up against are from other human warbands who are after the same kind of treasure or or item that is to be recovered from the city i mean a big question in all this and i'm not too sure where it is or who has it is who has where is the um the scepter or or, or token the elector count uh who for, for of more time of that city state it must be somewhere and has it been lost i can't quite remember off my top of my head if it's been lost but that item holds a great deal of power, especially in this time period where whoever can get the most mm. votes from the electors will become emperor. Yeah, Chris, are you referring to the uh, the Runefang sword of the Elector Count? Uh, well, I think there's those, but there are some other tokens of electors. There oh, are, just, what, 12 a, uh... or 12 or 6, I think it's 16 maybe Runefangs. I can't remember mm -hmm. off the top of my head. Because um, 16 yeah. is a magical number of Sigma. Uh, it was uh, it was one for each tribe, I believe. Yeah. So each electric count originally got one. There's also some fun areas around the Ostermark uh, nearby. So there's like the Eerie Downs, and there's also the woods uh, around. So again, you can explore a lot of these places. Like the Eerie Downs, you could imagine there could be ancient barrows to from you know back during the barbarian when you know the empire was made up of like more like barbarian tribes. So these tombs may well have entities, spirits that have become empowered because the lands around them have been, uh, you know, corrupted by the warp stone that's fallen around them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's a region ripe for adventure. 
And then there's the politics that would be going on in Bekafen itself, because obviously, as I said, the uh, head of state, there is a new head of state uh, that's taken over, who's I think was the chancellor to the count. And so there will be politics going on in Bekafen itself while Mordheim burns and is being looted. Uh, and the other thing we haven't even got into, you mentioned in passing, is catacombs. You know, the catacombs itself, again, cities are built on top of cities on top of cities. So there will be things in the undercity, buildings that have been forgotten, that have been built on top of, that have sunk into the marshy ground of Mordheim, that are now accessible again, or people are going down into to look for. And of course, this area of the city, these catacombs, is not a safe place because there's going to be rampant amounts of mutants, chaos cults, and skaven. Yep. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. It's mostly Clan Eshin of uh, the Skaven that are active uh, because they're the uh, the sneaky assassin types. Uh, yes. So they're the ones that are most trusted to go out and steal as much of the warp stone as they can. Um, without uh you know really betraying their presence to uh the humans above definitely uh i'm now thinking just thinking about the other type of um character types that are in the warhammer fantasy role play uh this day and age i mean a rat catcher in the in this time period would likely have a lot of work uh, to to put it lightly <laughs> yep. um you know the skaven will be you know looking around for any piece of of warp stone that there is going and so even outside of warp outside of mordheim there will be uh, a need for uh, a rat catcher because towns will be dealing with an upsurge of these of even just large rats we're not i'm not talking about anything like that walks and talks but i'm i'm just talking large dangerous disease-ridden rats that need to be uh, dealt with uh, and let's think of whatever great characters there are. Elves at this time, again, will be kind of mistrusted uh, because they haven't had the benefit of, of someone like Teclas uh, coming to the, the aid of the Empire. So elves will be an interesting character type to play, but definitely one viewed with a lot of superstition. Dwarves possibly again will be coming to the city because they will view weird stone as a, a resource uh to to collect to use mm -hmm. to to forge into items yeah and not just that the uh the dwarven treasure hunters uh a lot of them are going to mordheim because there were several dwarven smiths there so there's gromrel armor and other um artifacts that they just want to retrieve and bring back uh you know as a way to honor their ancestors and the other types of characters, I mean, this is where you know you go through the character lists of archetypes within uh, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay that we have in fourth edition. There are a lot of things, there are a lot of things that will be well suited for this. And you can think about the war the if you're playing sandbox mode where you're going in and you're doing random encounters, and there's maybe some larger overarching plot that your your GM is using. But you know, in your group, you'll definitely want someone who's a physician. You know, you're going to have to be dealing with those injuries and wounds. Possibly a scholar who understands the history of the city, where to look, where to loot, where things may have been forgotten. Uh, with the 
burgers are, you know, there's agitators, possibly beggars. Beggars would be commonplace within the city. Um, you know, they've got nowhere else to go. Uh, and rat catchers. Within the courtiers, you can quite easily imagine someone like a duelist or a uh, or a spy heading into the city to to lay claim to something to improve their standing within uh, empire high society. With pe- with the peasant archetypes, we've got the hedge witch, which which, which I think would best represent uh, hedge witches and mystics would best represent magic users at this time because true wizards would not be commonplace. Uh, and let's see what else we've got. Rangers. Entertainer. This goes back to our Carnival of Chaos. Uh, so you could quite easily play an entertainer. And in this time, they would mostly make a fair bit of coin telling debauched tales of Lady Margarita or or, or um, various other uh, claimants to the throne. Uh, flagellants will be numerous. So play a flagellant who may well be running around with uh, a tarot card that has a fish on it because fish is uh, a very big symbol within uh, mm. Mordheim for whatever reason. For whatever reason. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm sure Thomas, Thomas Perrin said. Uh, river folk, you know, boatmen, river wardens. Again, those would be the type of characters that would be uh, bringing war bands into the city. Oh, sorry, we missed with um, range within the rangers uh, and um, flagellants. You'll also have, there's the witch hunter um, character class. Obviously, that's a no-brainer if you want to play a band of witch hunters. Uh, smugglers is another one. Uh, rogue, so what have we got here? Charlatan's fence. Grave robber, that's a definite. That graveyard we were talking about, who's defending it? You may as well just go in and see if you can pluck a few coins or a gold tooth from some some high society person that's been entombed in a family crypt. Uh, thieves and witches, obviously, are a good good thing to look at. And then with warriors, all the character classes there are a good are a good match. You've got cavalrymen. Guards, knights, again, you can see any of those in a witch hunter war band. Slayers, for sure. Soldiers and warrior priests. Pit fighter is definitely something you can look at. And this is where you start to think from all the list of things we've looked at here, and given that Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay has rules for chaos magic for you know for the dark powers, it has rules for mutations. If you really, really wanted to you could play a warband of Chaos Cultists. Uh, that would be a very different gameplay experience as a roleplay game, but it could be done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the only thing missing really is just rules for like Skaven vampires and um, maybe, I mean, they gave us rules for Orc warbands. I don't know how common they would really be. No. Uh, but stuff like that. And I mean, if you had a player that really was interested in that, uh, I don't think it'd be too hard to go back to the older uh, Warhammer second edition supplements. Um, I think yeah. Children of the Night and uh, Children of the Horned Rat. Is that yeah, uh, those that's the two? The one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those should have rules which you would probably be able to convert over pretty easily. And antagonist wise, within the beastry of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, there's already a good number of. Um monsters you can use uh from the core book so uh you've got skeleton zombies direwolves crypt ghouls vargals you can cairn wraiths banshees and vampires and ghosts 
you know, Mordheim would be, there'll be tons of ghosts to deal with. There'll be no shortage of people trying to banish them. You could quite imagine a, a Vargulf, you know, lingering in the, the high belfry of that clock tower we spoke of or, or within the graveyards or, or in a church or, um, or cathedral. Uh, then, of course, the Slaves to Darkness. Beastmen, commonplace. There'll be gores and ungores and bray shamans and cultists and mutants uh, for definite. Chaos Warriors, I wouldn't use within this setting. It would, I think you that's something you wait for for the time of when the chaos invasion occurs. But demons possibly are things that would be summoned. Even a demonet of, say, a blood letter of corn being summoned by a, by a chaos cult, and that's a that is a random encounter that you mm. come across would be a horrific vision to see. Chris, here's here's actually an idea for using the Chaos Warrior stat block. Um, Mordheim had a really lively uh, pit fighting arena uh, before the comet hit. And a lot of those could become mutated and indeed maybe cultists of uh, Bellacor, the, the Shadow Lord. So that'd be oh, a great yeah. way to use that stat block if you want that sort of uh, an obstacle without it directly being one of the, uh, the Norskin or uh, even further north humans uh, on the attack. That's really cool. Um, I think the only thing that's missing, but it's quite easy to make uh, with the uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay um, uh, Beastry section, is uh, Chaos Spawn, uh, because the book has a lot of um, basically has a lot of tools to build your own monsters. So you could quite easily custom build a Chaos Spawn, and that would be uh, quite a antagonist to come up against within in a sandbox play of Mordheim. And what would a warband be doing? They'd be collecting weirdstone, as we said, collecting artifacts, and potentially, you know, tracking down people that have have been lost in the city, trying to help people escape the city. There's a lot of things you can do with it. Again, I kind of I always think of Mordheim as also an example of escape to New York. You know, mm, yep. <laughs> you can quite imagine someone playing Snake Plissken in Mordheim, and it would fit. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah that's a great uh great idea now yeah. you've got an interesting uh we're going to end on an interesting kind of sub topic which is can mordheim inspire us for when the age of sigma roleplay soulbound comes out so yeah definitely i mean we don't really know what's going to be in uh soulbound you've only had some few inklings and uh, a little bit of information but um this kind of basic setting i think would be uh really cool uh to either import in to uh the mortal realms or just provide uh just kind of like a cool basis for uh how to do sandboxes in um other parts of the age of sigmar world um and yeah, yeah chris chris as you brought up like bellacor still exists for example right yeah, he's still around. Um, we I was unsure how much they were going to keep him around because it's a case that they've got the miniature, so they've provided the rules, you know, in in the Battle Tome books uh, since since Age of Sigmar was a thing. Uh, but they've they've still detailed him in the new Slaves to Darkness book, so he's still there. And something I feel that would be kind of fun you could do for your own plot lines is the following. So. Nagash in Age of Sigmar basically got screwed over by the Skaven yet again. So much like how Nagash did all his stuff back in Nagashizar and he was mining it for, for Warpstone and 
and all these other things. And he was eventually killed, but due to the the um, due to the help given by uh, by uh, by the Skaven, you know, they they gave a weapon to this this uh, mortal warrior to kill Nagash. In Age of Sigmar, the Skaven do it again. So Nagash is there, building from grave sand, which is a form of magical uh, realm stone, much like weird stone is actually a type of realm stone. Uh, so he makes this big pyramid at the center of Shaish, the realm of death. But as he's building it, as it's being built, the Skaven mess it up. And the energies, the flow of energy, is not quite right. And a calamity occurs, which we know as the Necroquake. Now, I think it's quite fun to do a little bit of a callback to having Bellacor again find a place that has some apocalyptic event occur and kind of the type of things that Mordheim had for him plays out again. Like it's his, you know, history re- seemingly repeats itself on an epic scale. So Bellacor once more takes on a Shadow Lord type of guise and sits at the heart of some city, corrupting it and using it for his own machinations against against the Chaos Gods and against Archeon, who is Supreme Lord of, you know, he's the Everchosen. Hey, Chris, I was wondering, um, now, Bellacor uh, could actually return and, uh, you know, maybe, say, impact a... Uh a uh, free people's city or maybe cut a bloody swath through there and um, kind of take it over and make it his own realm, kind of uh, doing something similar to Mordheim. But, um, you know, in, in Age of Sigmar, I'm led to believe that uh, a lot of souls are returning from the end times. And I was wondering, Chris, is there any way for souls from uh, maybe hundreds of years before the uh, end times to also return uh, and really just have souls from uh, when Mordheim had been a uh, uh, an actual event, an actual city, uh, also return, kind of recreating an echo of the past in the mortal realms. That's really interesting. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if it's metaphysically possible in, in this game, but I'm just kind of. Is. Hmm. So the realms are huge and infinite. So you don't have to use a canon city within the setting in the RPG because the 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 right now the books produced by Games Workshop anyway the battle tomes and so forth only detail small segments of each of the realms and each realm is aligned to a color of magic so you depend on where you pick you've got a lot of theme and mood that you can you can get in there and the thing is Many of the Stormcast Eternals was. So I don't think it's too crazy for a Stormcast Eternal or even an elven soul plucked from the belly of Slanesh itself to to be returned and remember uh, what happened in Mordheim. So that's quite possible. And also, certain characters have been spat back into the world. Uh, Gotrax is back, so... You know, he ventured out into the realm of chaos to battle demons and everything else, and he got chucked back out into the mortal realms of Age of Sigma. So it's possible. But then there's also other cities and settings which give you kind of some of the same kind of feelings of Mordheim. So there is the place known as Shadespire. So Shadespire is this city that was in the, I want to say, realm of light, 
or realm of shadow, but it, it now hangs between them. And the, I think they're called cataphranes. They're the, the, the leaders of the city. Uh, they attempted to trap their souls within shade glass, this material made from grave sand, so that Nagash, Lord of the Undead, could not claim their souls. And Shadespar now is again this, this apocalyptic city where adventurers go to discover and reclaim things and is the focus, at least one of the first initial locations, settings, for the Warhammer Underworld games. So you could look at that. Uh, there are, of course, plenty of other locations uh, within the All Points, which is the, the realm between realms that's been claimed by Chaos and is the focus of Warcry. And, uh, oh, there's there's got to be some more places I, I'm not thinking off the top of my head about. Um, a really close city setting to Mordheim that doesn't quite have the apocalyptic nature of it is Anvilgard in uh, Age of Sigmar. So Anvilgard is this really cool place in the realm of fire. So I'm going to give a brief overview of Anvilgard. Are you aware of what Anvilgard is, Mike? No, I've never heard of that one. Okay, so... There's an area of the realm of fire called the called the Great Parch, and towards the uh, we'll say the directions a bit weird. I can't really say north, but towards the coastline on the coastline of the Charwin coast, there is a city called Anvilgard. Anvilgard is a free people city, so it has Duardin, elves, humans, and this area is lush with life because the volcanic ash and uh, and soil is perfect for life to grow. So it has these stifling hot jungles on the and mangroves on the on the coastline. And that's where Anvilgard is. Now Anvilgard also is because of all this all these volcanic minerals is well known for alchemy. So they have a system of pipes to diffuse uh this uh what do we call it? basically Agent Orange, but it doesn't hurt humans and mortals, to, to kind of stop plant growth within the city. So the city is constantly blanketed with this kind of fog, and nice. the city is also home to Corsairs. So what we kind of used to think as Dark Elves, they're part of the general mortals within the Age of Sigmar. And so these Corsairs and, and Elves... Uh, of that kind live in this city, kind of going out on the oceans and capturing giant monsters like Hydras and, and Caribbean kind of monsters. Uh, you've also got, you know, free peoples, mortals there that generally deal with fire and, uh, and uh, shadow magic. And it's just a really cool city. So I think that'd be a really great place for to inspire you for Mordheim-like city ruled over by a great conclave of mortals. It's also at the very mercy of crime syndicates, one of the largest being the Black Scale Coil. So it's a city rampant with crime and smuggling and the drugs trade and all these other things, and you can quite easily imagine that chaos cults get in there and other things, that there'll be arenas and pit fighters fighting against all manner of strange megafauna that are captured out in the jungles. Nice. Yeah, that's really cool. I like it. So I think the point is, you, Mordheim can inspire you. I could easily, you could easily 
potentially say there could be some sort of city that has a shadow of Mordheim existing in the realm of death, even in Shaiish. All right, there we go. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Right. To finally wrap up, um, there are other ways to get some Mordheim content in your life and inspiration. What are those? Yeah, well, I'm aware of a couple other things. I mean, when Mordheim came out, uh, I think it was published between basically 1999 and 2003. Um, there were a bunch of things. There was like the main rule book, the various town criers. There was the Uli and Marcand um, uh, comics that came out. Um, so there was a lot of stuff there. But more recently, there's actually been a, a couple of uh, Mordheim uh, items that came out. Of course, there was a video game uh, that came out on PC for uh, more time, uh, which is pretty cool. You get to play as different warbands, go through some generic adventures, and then also a couple of story-driven ones as you get closer and closer to the pit itself. And there was also a Go Trek and Felix novel uh, set in the City of the Damned. So that's uh, another cool is way to a, explore. Is there one that's set there? I didn't realize there was one that was set in Mordheim. Yep. Yep. City of the Damned. Is it really? Oh my god! How did I not know this? I didn't yep. think. I didn't think Gotrek's of Felix were existed. Uh, were this, around this the time was, of uh, time. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe there's some time travel involved, or maybe they went to the uh, the ruins because it was. Uh, Mordheim was destroyed finally by uh, Magnus the Pious, but uh, who knows? Maybe there could be stuff underground. I, I haven't actually read the novel, but I just I know it exists. Right. Um, I might have to. So look it's definitely that. out there. Cool. That's that's kind of wicked. Yeah, the computer games is not something I've played, but I think it gets quite a lot of the looks of the the um of of Mordheim right. Uh, even if I'm not too sure how well it, how well the game plays. Obviously, that's something uh something else entirely. Um, cool. Okay. Um, right. That I think that covers everything ideas wise. Obviously, we could talk even longer about um Mordheim and how great it is and. Mm -hmm. But I think also in general, like that that time period is is great for games of Warhammer, even if you're not looking at Mordheim itself and you went to say yeah. Dwarf mid or um go to Middenheim or, or Marienburg and so forth. So you know, the there's a lot that you can you can look at and get out of that out of that material. Yep. Right, to wrap up then, uh, there's some other things I just remembered, that there's a new issue of uh, something called, I'm trying to remember, is it called called something 28? Let me just get this right. Yeah, 28 Mag uh, just That's came out. One. So this is a free magazine, which is a hobbyist magazine, uh, which kind of goes to that Blanchitsu kind of style of wargaming. It's very narrative-driven. It has short stories and everything in it. Uh, and our regular host for um, Darkhammer, uh, David Scott, some of his uh, Tor Megiddo Disciples of the Black in there. So there are pictures of his stuff. And there's also apparently a massive article about Mordheim 2019, if you still play and you're still into your skirmish gaming. So that is great there's also some stuff about dark age of sigma so i think people are kind of applying that kind of classic grim dark aesthetic to age of sigma which is kind of grim high epic fantasy uh oh, so that's yeah. a cool thing to look at so i will actually i'm actually going to download that later and look at it <laughs> yeah if you want to check it out actually here's something i really wanted to bring up uh, i forgot to um reason one of the reasons why Mordheim is so interesting from like a historical standpoint with warhammer is because this was the point 
in uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles 5th Edition that they really leaned into the grimdark for that setting. Um, if you look at like the 5th Edition rulebooks, you know, there's some like, you know, kind of like edgy dark artwork, but there's also a lot of like goofy pictures in the sidelines of like, you know, ones throwing their riders aside or uh, stuff like that. Um, Treeman chasing a bunch of dark elves. Uh, but this one's just completely bleak and all the artworks that really like uh, cool, like charcoal sort of artwork, a lot of pencil work and the like. Um, and it really actually set the tone for later Warhammer fantasy stuff that came out. Ah, excellent. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay, so let's wrap up. Um, so if you enjoy Darkhammer, we've got previous episodes which cover things talking about all things orcs, overviews of imperial faiths and other things. And in future episodes, I think we're going to be doing another broad, a broad slice episode soon enough. Uh, I think we're going to look at elves as we learn more about Age of Sigmar's elves because there's new elven stuff turning up. And we'll do a, a more narrow slice and we'll definitely look at Necromunda. And I have plans to get some some more guests on the show. Uh, then, But also, um, obviously, there. if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at darkerdaysradio. We have a Facebook account where you can find out more stuff uh you can come to our discord which is growing i believe we're getting more and more people on there talking about all manner of games whether it's warhammer and miniatures or it's horror games in general and media and you can also go over to our blog where you'll find you know reviews and other interesting things pictures of miniatures painting guides even of stuff like that uh is there anything i've forgotten mike in all of this uh just that we have our sweet discord channel which will have a link in the show notes of course everything will have links in the show notes uh and once again mike thank you for coming on Darkhammer, and we'll be you you know obviously coming on as frequently as possible because there's tons mm-hmm. of things we want to talk about whether it's elves in warhammer or or whatever bit of 40k setting you want to wax lyrical about um i know absolutely there's, there's so much we can talk about and especially as more and more content comes out because I'm sure the guys over at Gehenna Gaming will be eager to run demos of of any of these games so it'll be cool if um, if you can run some demos in future as well because I think that's the great thing we get to do is we can run the same demo on opposite sides of the Atlantic it's just awesome it's just awesome <laughs> yep. yeah it's been a great thing um right so with that thank you for listening and we will see you soon so good night take it easy 